everyone and welcome back to another episode of Colorado Health Coach. My name is Elizabeth and I am a certified health and life coach from Southern Colorado. Before I, Before I dive into today's topic, I'm going to be sharing my appreciation or insight for today. So many of you don't know this about me, but in my past I have struggled with self-harm. I was in middle school and I would cut my knees because I never wore shorts. I barely wore capris and I was always in pants, leggings, jeans, whatever you want to call bottoms that cover your entire leg. So in middle school, I was very unhappy with myself, with my life. And I find that I've had discussions with individuals. Oh, I should I should have probably put out a disclaimer before I started talking about this. If you are sensitive to anything that I'm about to speak on in regards to self-harm, just skip ahead to the part where I address diet culture. So in middle school, I was unhappy with myself, unhappy with my life. I didn't see a purpose. I didn't feel like I deserved to live, essentially. And I have not spoken about this particular circumstance in my life, this point in my life, to anyone other than my brother, I want to say I, t- I, told the, I told him this four years ago when I was 19 and he was 15. He and I were sitting in my car, parked right outside our house, and I started talking to him about it and I started getting very emotional because it was at a point in my life where... I was having very dark thoughts. I was considering taking my own life. And I didn't feel anything. I felt very empty and hollow. And I turned to self-harm because I wanted to feel something, anything, other than the nothing that was happening inside of me. I wanted to feel something, even if it was pain. And it was. It was self-inflicted pain. And that's not the the right way to go about things. And I'm bringing all of this up because I had an insight recently. Those thoughts started accumulating again. They started popping up in my mind again. And I know that I am a health and life coach and my job is to help others. But it's so frustrating when you're so good at helping others, but you can't even help yourself. So my roommate actually has struggled with depression herself. And she and I are going to be discussing depression and self-harm in a future episode. So if that's not your cup of tea, if that is a sensitive topic for you, I would encourage you to not listen to that one particular episode because we are going to be reflecting back on our pasts, why we felt that way, what we did and what we should have done instead. And in that 
episode, I am going to be including websites and phone numbers for you to get help, the help that you need, the help that you deserve if you're struggling with that right now at this point in time. And I don't know why I started to have those thoughts again because I'm doing pretty well, pretty decently considering everything in regards to the world, considering everything in regards to the pandemic and career-wise, I'm fine. Financially, I'm okay. I'm stable. Personally, you know, it's been a struggle, but that shouldn't have been a breaking point for me. So I just feel very confused and lost in regards to why. So my roommate actually gave me the best advice that anyone could possibly have given me, given the situation, and she encouraged me to seek help. Now there's therapists for therapists, there's health and life coaches for other health and life coaches, and I actually don't feel ashamed saying that I am reaching out to someone to help me through this time in my life, and everyone needs someone. Everyone needs a shoulder to cry on, everyone needs a cheerleader in their corner rooting for them. And I feel like that was partially what I'm missing in my life is someone to vent to without any judgment, without any agenda, any, without anything to gain from our conversations. So my appreciation and my insight is essentially recognizing that I I'm having that urge to self-harm again, and I don't want to. And it's so confusing and frustrating for me, and I'm not trying to glorify this in any way because this is a serious topic and many people need to realize that. And it's not... It shouldn't be as taboo as it is. I don't know if it's taboo anymore in society in general, but in my family, at least it is. No one talks about it in my family. So I just feel like I couldn't reach out to anyone that I was related to in regards to this serious issue that I'm faced with. So I'm glad that I had my roommate that actually knew and could relate to what I'm going through. And she and I are basically each other's support systems right now because we are going through a rough patch in regards to our personal friendships with our best friends. So I'm there for her. She's there for me. And I feel like this was meant to happen at this point in our lives. And I'm just grateful that she's there and I'm there for her and vice versa. And I feel almost a comfort in that. Like everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to turn out the way that it's supposed to. I actually am a huge fan of Machine Gun Kelly. And he has these two songs that just speak to me in regards to what I'm going through. And 
I actually want to get two tattoos over my knees and my knees, like I said earlier, are where I used to self-harm. And I, I feel like if I have these images over my knees, I won't want to because over one of my knees, I want there to be a little Grim Reaper in a pot, in like a shirt pocket. And that's because Machine Gun Kelly has this song called Death in My Pocket. And in the song, there's lyrics that say, I think I'm ready to die tonight. It's fucked up because I ain't lived half my life. And that's exactly how I was feeling at the time of me self-harming. And I just want to remind myself that my life isn't over. My life is just beginning and I have so much to look forward to. There's so much to look forward to in life and you shouldn't end it because once you do, you can't take it back. And that's the scariest part because you're not really thinking about the people who you're leaving behind and everything that could have been. So I know that took a really dark turn just now, but I just felt like I needed to share this with all of you because even though I am a health and life coach, I am another, I'm just another person like you and I have problems too. And I hope that me sharing this is a way for hopefully some of you to feel more comfortable and relate to me on another level and just feel okay with having doubts in your life and knowing that you can overcome anything life throws at you. So I just felt like I should be sharing that. And I'm sorry, I just killed the mood for this positive podcast normally. So sorry to kind of kill the positive vibes for those 12, 13 minutes that I was talking about self-harm and my own kind of struggle with it and my own story. But I didn't want to share too much because there is going to be a whole separate episode dedicated to just self-harm and depression. So diet culture, it's everywhere. From a young age, both boys and girls are bombarded by the media to look a certain way. So back in Marilyn Monroe's day, I want to say it was the 50s, 60s, around that era. Don't, you know, condemn me if I'm wrong. But she was a sex symbol and she was a curvy lady. She wasn't super skinny. And that was what was considered attractive back then. Over time... Our culture has actually gotten this image in their head of the perfect body being skinnier and skinnier and skinnier, especially because of runway models up until, I want to say, the 2000s, maybe 2010s, when there were plus size models. Now, there have been regulations in regards to modeling agencies where a model can't 
walk in a runway show if they are under a certain BMI. And for those of you who aren't aware, BMI stands for body mass index. And that is, mm, I'm just going to give you the Sparks Note definition of that. And BMI and um, body mass index is essentially how much fat you are carrying on your person. That is not the 100% scientific definition of it, but I just want to simplify it for the sake of this podcast. We've gone from curvy to super skinny, like anorexic level skinny, to now an all-inclusive kind of model agency. There's skinny, there's normal size, there's plus size, and it's trying to be very inclusive. But if you're super skinny, you are not healthy. If you're below a certain body mass index, if you're malnourished, if there are certain vitamins and minerals within your body that you are seriously lacking, you could be taking years off your body. If you are very overweight in the plus size model category, and I'm not trying to get into all of the politics and everything behind uh, healthy at every size and all that. I'm not trying to dive into that rabbit hole, but I'm just trying to keep it as quick as possible. If you are overweight, you're not healthy either. So you have to find a healthy medium. Now, medical conditions, that's a whole separate thing. If you're overweight because of medical conditions, no one should be bullying anyone, regardless of their size. People should be encouraging others to get healthy, but that doesn't necessarily mean losing weight or gaining weight. It all depends on that certain individual. I'm just trying to talk about the evolution of what society has deemed attractive throughout the years. So we go from Marilyn Monroe, and then we were in the era of the Kardashian-Jenners where it was attractive to be very curvy, and society shouldn't dictate what deems attractive. It should be solely based on the individual, what they find attractive. Social media and the media in general try to condition us to want to look a certain way. And I do believe it is nature and nurture. So nature is basically all of our surroundings, the media, our social life, and nurture is how we grew up. So how I grew up was my mother always hopped on the scale. She always basically complained about her weight. And in my mind, my mother is this beautiful lady who doesn't need to lose any weight. She's perfect the way she is. But in me seeing her and her reaction to a number on scale from a very young age up until the time I moved out of my parents' house, I feel like that had a negative, a subconscious negative effect on me because me personally, I develop, I have body dysmorphia. And that is why I specialize in weight loss for individuals who struggle with their body image because I can relate to them. I know exactly 
how they feel to a certain degree. I have something to relate to them with because I have my own story. And body dysmorphia actually is something that isn't really talked about in my mind, especially with the environment that I grew up with. Honestly, I didn't really know what body dysmorphia was until high school, until I realized that I had it because I could not look at myself in a full-length mirror without thinking, oh my gosh, like, is that how I really look? And in reality, I could look completely fine, healthy, normal, average. But in my mind, it was like I was staring into a carnival mirror and certain parts of my body were very distorted and twisted because of my own perception of myself. So the media tries to control how they think we should look. And that is always changing throughout throughout the decades. It is ever changing. So let's talk about diet trends. Diet trends over the years. Now I've heard of the military diet. I've heard of keto, of paleo, of carnivore. I've heard of so many different diets. I could write a I could write a page long letter just listing diets. And I remember in high school, when I was in high school, from 2012 to 2015, I want to say, it was around this time a bunch of people were doing the lemonade diet. And it was a diet that was allegedly done by a bunch of celebrities, including, I want to say, Beyonce and JLo, maybe. It's been so many years. I forget. But it's essentially you put in water, lemon juice, and chili powder flakes and honey. And that's all you drink. And people, and apparently celebrities would do this before their red carpets to shed off those extra how many pounds they needed to lose in order to fit into their dress, in order to fit into their outfit, and in in their mind, in the media's mind, look good. So for three days before the red carpet, they would drink this lemonade. I'm doing air quotes around lemonade. And they were not allowed to eat any food. And apparently it was supposed to curve your cravings and you weren't supposed to feel hungry and it was supposed to just melt the weight off. I will admit I did this when I was a sophomore in high school. It was not healthy. I was so foolish. And in doing so, I actually damaged my metabolism even more. And that is honestly what diets do. They damage your metabolism right after you stop doing them. Once you get off of a diet, your metabolism is just shot. And honestly, this is my unpopular opinion. I'm not a fan of the keto diet. I'm not. And I will tell you why. I conduct this four-day energy experiment with every single one of my clients in order for us to have a better understanding on what What macronutrient gives them the most energy. For me, 
Personally, it's carbs. So I would just die on the keto diet. And guess what? Fruit and vegetables, they are considered carbs because they there's three different categories in regards to macronutrients. There's carbs, there's fat, and there's protein. Now, fruit and vegetables, they do not fall in with protein or fat, so they got to fall in somewhere. And they're not micronutrients because micronutrients are vitamins, minerals, and water. So they are classified under carbs. Now, on keto, you can have the fruit and vegetables, but in my mind, it's not really keto, you know? Keto is saying that you cut out carbs, fruit and vegetables, in my personal, professional opinion, are carbs. What else are they? So I conduct a 40 energy experiment with each one of my clients. And most of them, the macronutrient that gives them the most energy are carbs. So they would suffer under the keto diet. Their metabolism would result being shot. And ultimately, the keto diet is not sustainable. I specialize in habit change, and habit change is for life. It is sustainable. It is forever. <laughs> I'm not asking you to stop going to restaurants, dining out with your friends, having a drink with your coworkers, going out on date nights. I'm not asking you to give up any of that. I'm not even asking you to give up your favorite foods. I specialize in habit change, and every single person can do it. Heck, I have this client right now. She's doing amazing, and we're on week five of my 12-week program, the 90-day program, and I'm so incredibly proud of her because she is bettering her health. So let's dive into the development of weight loss regimens specifically Nutrisystem, Jenny Craig, and Weight Watchers. Nutrisystem. It's been around for a few years. Food is delivered to your door, you eat it, you lose weight. How is that sustainable? How is that for life if you're just ordering a bunch of meals and not cooking for yourself? Eventually, you're going to have to get off of that program. And once you do, I can guarantee not all of the weight will come back but some of it will. And if you keep it off, I say bravo to you because you have learned how to develop a healthy lifestyle as a result, but that's not everyone. Heck, that's not even half. Weight Watchers. Now Weight Watchers is a little bit more forgivable, but I'm still not the biggest fan of Weight Watchers because there's this point system and I don't know if things have changed, but the point system just doesn't make sense to me. Plus, it's a lot of work involved. So if there's a lot of work involved, you're eventually going to fall off the program. No matter how good of results you get, if it's not going to easily fit into your everyday lifestyle, it's not going to work out. So I want to talk about an alternative to keto. And a great alternative that I am a fan of is a concept from celebrity dietitian JJ Virgin. It is called the Carb Impact Scale. 
This alternative to keto reduces the amount of carbs instead of cutting them out completely. Going from high carb dense foods to medium and then eventually low carb impact foods. So for example, a high carb impact food would be regular russet potatoes. A great alternative to that would be pumpkin, squash, and sweet potatoes. Those are just alternatives. I'm not saying that you can't still have fries, hey. but <laughs> exchange the regular fries for sweet potato fries. And they taste so much better in my own personal opinion. So having the exact same, so it has the exact same effect as keto, but in a safer execution. And as a result, it has a safer effect on your metabolism. Your metabolism isn't shot to hell after you do all this. And it's actually maintainable because you're not cutting out carbs completely. You're actually going from high carb dense foods down to medium and then to low. And then it's not like you can't have these high carb dense foods ever again. You can just once in a while. And majority of the time having the medium and low carb dense foods. So I would like to take this time to dive in to my life lessons from and for this episode life lessons from I am going to be talking about the NBC TV show The Biggest Loser. I don't know if it's still on NBC, ABC, whatever network it's on now. I'm going to specifically be referring to contestants who have gone off of the show and gained back all the weight. I want to throw a disclaimer out there. Not everyone who has come off of the show has gained huge amounts of weight, but majority of them have, and there's a good explanation for that. The exercise that you see them doing on the show is allegedly all day, all day exercise. That is not maintainable when you get off of the show and enter the real world. Going to work, seeing your spouse, having family time, having your own personal life. You cannot squeeze in eight hours a day at the gym. It is just not humanly possible. And that is what they are allegedly doing on The Biggest Loser. Now, I would love for the show to talk more about nutrition and what they're doing for the contestants in regards to that. But I've heard that all of the contestants who have been sent home are going to have consultations with a nutritionist, which I'm very happy about. I'm very happy to hear about. Although I don't like seeing people feel deprived or feel ashamed or bad about eating, you know, an Oreo, God forbid, an Oreo, you know, one Oreo, two Oreos, even if it's just two Oreos every week, they feel so terrible and defeated and crushed. And they shouldn't feel like that because it's not them being bad. It's them being human. Everyone deserves an Oreo or a Cheeto or ice cream once in a while, but it is moderation. You shouldn't feel deprived. And you shouldn't feel like you're being bad or you're starving because that's where cravings kick in. That's where a binge happens. That's where you fail in regards to your own personal health. Now, in The Biggest Loser, not all of them gain the weight, but most of them do. And it is an unfortunate effect of going home because you have your everyday life that is affecting you. 
What bothers me about the show is that they should be preparing these contestants to go back into the real world to maintain this weight loss, to tell them it's okay if you gain a pound or two and not to beat yourself up over it. I wish they would prepare their contestants to go back home and maintain their results for a long-term effect. And that is my number one issue with The Biggest Loser. I'd like to thank you all for listening to this episode of Colorado Health Coach. Please rate, review, and subscribe for future episodes. And I hope you drink your water this thirsty Thursday and every day until the next episode. Bye.